Hi, you're listening to Andrew Farris on NXS Access All Areas with Hayden and B. Check it out. This is In Excess Access All Areas, the podcast that is helping to get In Excess into the Rock Hall of Fame. But we need your help. We need you to share and send the love out. We need to create momentum and make some noise together and get In Excess nominated into the Rock Hall of Fame where they deserve to be. We have a fabulous patron program with lots of rewards, starting from as little as $5 all the way up to $30. Starting with the bronze, you will get a mention each week. Elevating to a silver, you will be able to enter the competition. Gold will give you further invites into our Zoom chats, which are awesome. Or you could become one of our amazing platinum members and get early uploads and a lot more. And if you can email inaccessaaagmail.com, your address, we will send you out a welcome pack. Thank you. Enjoy. Well, welcome to NXS Access All Areas, episode 24, the podcast designed to go deep into the legacy of this awesome band and get them in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and have uh, fun along the way. How's your NXS week be? Uh, you've been on tour back at home base? Well, it's only Monday, but I have <laughs> I have managed to get home and had a big sleep. Yeah. I didn't get the box, though. Uh, I didn't get the box. No. We picked up some other goodies. We've got books and things and things got, out. So I got a lot of books. I got yeah. a lot of books. We're going to um, give two away for the competition, and maybe we might do another competition later with, um, with these splashed into another bigger competition. Well, we did have Clemo last week when we referred to the book, uh, Rock Stars and Fast Cars, or is it Fast Cars and Rock stars the the title is along for the ride fast cars and rock stars good name and we went out with born to be wild last week the mm. Inexus version it was a real petrol petrol diesel charged episode last week wasn't it, it you know it was a vroom vroom <laughs> did an in excess sort of retrospective you went to uh with stay young was filmed you went to the warehouse where in excess were rec- uh, well i guess rehearsing and practicing with clemo and you had a pretty active uh, week all around b with your uh travels and exploits and journey around sydney and uh you went to all these venues and things so tell us a bit about the the experience of it for you well the best part i must admit was actually walking into the warehouse that they actually um rehearsed in and uh, I was very lucky that there was no one else there but me and the manager who'd owned the place um, for 40 years. Yep. And I asked him the question, so did you see them? And he said, no. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. So <laughs> not Cle- a fan. <laughs> so, so Clemo owned it and sold it or he was renting or leasing at the time? I think Clemo was leasing it 
yeah. and it, he, this guy's the owner of it. Mm. <laughs> so a little young Clemo there, he was uh, yeah. doing something naughty by putting a band on in his day, a little rebel Clemo, huh? He is a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. But it was um, nice that they pointed out the back wall in the corner, he says that's where the stage was, and it was just like you, just goosebumps, you know, for me anyway. Well, look, I mean, as we sort of do, we sort of listen back to the podcasts uh, to sort of, I guess, be a bit like a fan, not of ourselves, but of the guests. And um, our goal when we do have a guest is to sort of, I guess, have them take us deep into the the era. And I felt like uh, that little fly on the wall with Clemo was just sharing sharing the stories about being on the plane. And <laughs> I've just got these images yeah. when we talk about all the bands and that cleaning up. Michael's, you know, probably <laughs> they're all in there uh, cleaning the plane before they got to uh, Sydney. Um, and then being up in the Hollywood Hills and then meeting Robert Plan. I mean, um, that's the type of stuff when we do get um, sort of some anonymous guests in a sense. I mean, the guests themselves aren't famous, but their experiences are famous. You know, we, with Clemo, as I said, we've got some books to give away with some competitions. So when we sort of do our wrap today, we will reiterate what those competitions are about, but they mm-hmm. are for uh, our newest patrons and they are also going to be uh, for our existing loyal patrons, etc. as well. So as you probably heard at the start of the show today, be putting out a bit of a message out there about us acquiring more patrons to help get this band in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And um, and also too, we want to just put together a bit of an in excess party, get together, convention, whatever it might be. Just, you know, there's a lot of little things we're working on to make this thing bigger and better and a bit of a global sort of, uh, uh, I guess, uh, push and movement for uh, recognition, B. Yes, come join the party, everybody. Get involved. <laughs> I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. But B, we want to actually welcome some new patrons over the last two weeks who have contributed. And uh, I know sometimes it's always hard to actually get all their names because everyone's got different emails and monikers and things like that. But uh, we've got some new patrons. We're very, very uh, appreciative of joining uh, this uh, campaign. Uh, and also we want to acknowledge, like we do weekly, our existing loyal patrons who uh, really allow us to do what we do um, and also are valuable in terms of fan engagement throughout the week. Okay, so let's welcome Pedro, Lisa, Foxy, a.k.a. Jody, Felicia, Sarah, Laurie, Carmen, Sudi, Matt, Joe Robbins, Mandy, Linda, Emmarie, Daniela, Ali, Lisa Mack, Lisa Calloway, Lisa Urban, Carrie-Anne, Kathy, Virginia, Dr. Jim, Susan, Caroline, Vern, and we would also like to say hi to any future patrons. So just email us at inxsaaagmail.com. And now it's time for the excess news with Hayden from around the world. All right, in excess news. Uh, we normally start with the charts, B, and uh, unfortunately in Australia we have had a bit of a plummet. Oh, no. So all the goodwill and getting uh, the greatest hits uh, to seven times platinum has also mm. had a bit of a reverse effect. We've actually seen the album last week go from four, oh, sorry, from twenty-four to forty-one. So yikes! Ooh. A bit of a uh, a Ooh. deduction there. So uh, anybody out there who hasn't got it yet, anyone in the family, yes. you need to get it for. Go out and buy Christmas. it again. We don't want to see this leave the uh, top forty mm-hmm. charts. Um, so B, I'm sure you agree with that. 
Yes, that's a bit sad. I'm really <laughs> sad to hear. All right. Uh, now, we have the Media Street Wars, okay? Uh, in the last few weeks, we've had Andrew on absolute mm-hmm. Media Street tyranny. He's promoting his uh, country EP. He's basically promoting the the, the debut album that's going to come out next year. Uh, he has been Andrew everywhere, <laughs> as we would say. But uh, lo and behold, this week, we have had uh, Kirk pop up. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he's been in the media in Australia this week. Uh, you can Google and see. Uh, punch in Kirk's name, but uh, Kirk has come back with a vengeance uh, in these media wars between him and uh, the other band members for a media profile. And uh, Kirk and his uh, lovely wife uh, Lane have been uh, will have celebrated their tenth year anniversary. Hey, congratulations! Yeah, there were some lovely photos of them on Instagram. Really cute. Aww. So no new music, but uh, Kirk has uh, heard Andrew's, uh, you know, uh, debut podcast slash uh, episodes where he's been on all the podcasts around the world. He's heard Andrew everywhere. So Kirk's come back and said, okay, Andrew, I can't have you spotlighting the media. I'll come back in with a, a puff piece in the Daily Mail about me and Lane celebrating our 10th year <laughs> anniversary. So. Little bit jealous. No. <laughs> Yeah, well, look, look, Andrew, uh, on a more serious note, was on the Today Show, which is probably uh, uh, the morning sort of show there with uh, Richard Wilkins, a long-time sort of media uh, ally of the band. The, the gentleman who we mentioned the other week was uh, sort of hosting, if that's the proper word, uh, part of the, uh, you know, the Masters Ceremony of the funeral for Michael. Um, and I guess, look, with Andrew and some of the things he's been on, I heard him on a podcast the other day, I think it was called Headliners. It was a UK podcast. Um, yeah, and Andrew spoke really well on that. There were some really good questions and some good replies, and I urge you to uh, to, to have a listen to that one. Um, and finally, in news, uh, it seems like every sort of week at the moment, there's like an anniversary or a celebration. Uh, I believe Listen Like Thieves celebrated 35 years uh, from its release uh, just the other day. Uh, and also, we've seen through friends such as MM and various uh, contributors through the platforms, uh, the debut album celebrates 40 years uh, from its release. So really significant milestone for that. And that was mm. obviously the you know the first album that we reviewed. Yeah. And uh, I know the, uh, the artwork on that particular album uh, definitely has uh, a lot of resonance. You know, I didn't realise at the time, but it was sort of uh, inspired by Noel, uh, I think a Noel yes, Coward, Noel Coward. Uh, mm. painting or picture mm. that's quite famous uh, in the annals of the art mm. world. But, um, you know, song-wise, I know MM has uh, put a lot of really good sort of posts yeah. out there regarding this sort of album and just some of the, uh, the songs yes. there. So, um, yeah, if you are on some of the platforms that we're on, uh, you'll see his postings and things Great as well. Great posts. All right, the last thing in news, just coming out overnight, and uh, it's already had some, uh, I guess, uh, social engagement and fan engagement even today, B, is mm. the news that it looks like the InXS musical uh, is coming closer to fruition, and that is yes. uh, the West End uh, in London, opposed yeah. to the East End. Um, <laughs> looks like that, that might be the first city or region where an InXS musical will come out, um, and... Uh, I know Chris has been sort of liaising with a guy called uh, Michael uh, Assel, who mm-hmm. uh, has been quite synonymous with, uh, sorry, Michael Castle, I should say, has been synonymous with the musical Hamilton, which has probably been the biggest musical worldwide in the last three, four years, where they've been sort of working on a, a, an idea to get uh, in excess uh, music into the Broadway area, maybe into uh, West End and through the, the theatres of, of the world. Um 
I know through just some social engagement with uh, some of our uh, listeners, uh, some were going, I wonder how that would work. Maybe Abra mm-hmm. and Queen had a bigger sort of uh, presence. But um, one of the things that is interesting with musicals is I saw the Billy Joel musical Moving Out many, many years ago. And um, it wasn't a Billy Joel, Joel story. It was Billy Joel music to... Uh, uh, I guess, uh, a play and another type of narrative where the music uh, was played up on a mezzanine level way above the stage. And then yeah. you had all these actors playing out to the songs and they sequenced them into a story and there was no dialogue. It was just 30, 40 songs in a row that mm-hmm. then told the story within sort of the actors and things. So there mm-hmm. is, I guess, a creativity element there where it may not be the in excess story, but maybe in excess music that creates a story. And even mm-hmm. I think Abba's Mamma Mia did that. It wasn't about Abba, but it was about Abba music within the sort of the, the context yeah. of a story. It'd be interesting to see what take they get on this. I remember going, this is like a little bit different, um, going to see um, at the West End, it was Sinatra and who who else was in with them? The, Sammy the, Davis, Dean Martin. Yeah. yeah. All the of Rat that. Pack. The Rat Pack. Mm. I went to see The Rat Pack. Have you seen that? No, I haven't, no. It was fantastic. So they in, interacted with one another and, and played all their songs, but it was actually like it was them as characters as well. And it yeah. was just, you know, they, uh, what was the one who drank a lot with? He's going, oh, let's have some more salad <laughs> in my drink, you know. <laughs> I reckon they all drank really a lot. Good. <laughs> Cigarettes. I can imagine things. if they put a few, they, you know, the cowboy came on. And <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> look, I, I think, as I said, there's, you know, knowing Chris Murphy and, and knowing that he's, he's associated now with one of the top producers in the world in, in the musical industry, uh, Michael Castle. Um, I'm sure that uh, they would do something that uh, is both creative and, and does justice to the music, but maybe mm-hmm. weave into a sort of a narrative that's appealing. And there's no shortage of material within no. excess. There's no shortage of songs that, yeah. you know, a high, high tempo, mid tempo, low tempo, you know, ballad ballads through to rock, through to funk. Um, you, you could go along to something like that and really enjoy the music, but also be captivated by an alternate storyline. Oh. So I guess it'd just be interesting to see how this plays out, but it feels like it's gaining some real genuine traction. Um, and the fact that like even, even um, our fans, we've got kids as young as 16 hmm. and um, like people as old as like in, the, in, in their seventies. So I think it, it will go over a, a quite a wide audience once it hmm. comes out. Definitely. Yeah. I wonder why. Yeah. We mentioned the other week, yeah, yeah. We mentioned the greatest hit the other week had gone uh, seven times platinum, etc. There, but uh, diamond. In this, yeah, mm. in this article it said it's actually seven by seven is four ninety uh, in terms of thousand, but it's actually hit five hundred thousand, which is diamond in diamond. Australia, um, which is a fantastic accreditation. Um, and uh, you know, I guess that was just a nice little sort of add into the into the article, especially as streaming and virtual sort of physical buying of albums and things like that has gone. Mm. down a lot and people cherry pick singles and songs particularly having an album full full of songs go diamond uh in a region like australia is fantastic yeah, yeah. well done yeah oh well done in <laughs> well done australia what well done in <laughs> hey this is tim farris and you're listening to access all areas in hayden and b Hey. <laughs> and now for topic of the week
Right, the juggernaut that is Kick, uh, an album that we know a lot of the the listeners of our podcast have been anxiously awaiting for us mm-hmm. to talk about. B, mm. um, this is be right in the sweet spot for you. You've come in on Listen Like Thieves as a as a sort of a a new fan, and then you became sort of an Uber fan by the end of it. But when Kick came out, I reckon this it was right in your the wi- face. This was right <laughs> in your wheelhouse around eighty seven, eighty eight. Does that sound yes. fair? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It was literally straight after both albums come out, literally straight away in England. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, look, you know, this this particular album, uh, it's going to be difficult to unpack it in one episode. So as I alluded to a bit earlier, we're going to do a sort of three-parter to kick. Um, One part's going to be today, a little bit of the background and the songs themselves and just really, you know, go through each song and what it meant to us and what we feel about it now and, and really just highlight the album. So it's going to be very purist towards the songs. Um, mm-hmm. uh, our second and third episodes, well, uh, one will be geared around the legacy, the sales, the impact, the cultural impact at the time, uh, the production, uh, reviews, um, uh, influences on other bands, bands thereafter and, and, it's, and, and the album's legacy today. So we'll get into a bit more of that stuff on that podcast. Uh, and then I think the third one uh, will be a little bit on the artwork and the art history side. So we're hoping to get on to, uh, to Nick Egan, who uh, was synonymous with the band uh, in the early days uh, in terms of the artwork for this album. Uh, so we will sort of cover that part because I guess, B, around 1987 when this got released, it was right in that sort of hitting zone where people were going from sort of albums, you know, cassettes to CDs. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, it, it did have an effect on artwork. So this particular album, you know, if you looked at as just as a one-off, it was sort of an arm and a sort of a number and, and you know, that's all you sort of got. But, you know, the artwork is quite groundbreaking in the sense. Yeah. And uh, Richard, I think, in the Need You Tonight film clip, used the album cover and that mm. artwork as a theme. And that's almost like branding the mm. song to the artwork to Michael was a really big reason it blew up on MTV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It carried it through, didn't it? yeah. Okay, so um, look, what we like to do when we do an album review is just do a little bit of a rewind just to sort of put ourselves back uh, where they were at the time. So um, we know that the band went into Rhinoceros Studios, uh, again with Chris Thomas, who looked after the production duties on uh, Listen Like Thieves uh, for the second time uh, Chris was now with NXS. Uh, and it was January 987 when they went in. So just, you know, in sync with our uh, episode two weeks ago, Australia Made finished on January 26th. So the fact that they were in the studios in Sydney uh, where I guess uh, the last Australian made concert finished on Australia day shows their work ethic. Um, Yeah. They're in the studio within a couple of days, you know, no, no, uh, you know, rest for the wicked. Um, So, you know, Chris had probably had made that as a cornerstone. Um, And as we said on the Australian made uh, episode, the band were really, I guess, at that pivotal confident point where listen like thieves just, charted heavily in you know america particularly with what you need um obviously had the australian made concert series and all the listen like thieves tours globally um so they didn't sort of sit back and sort of rest on their laurels they're like okay great let's take the momentum of of listen like thieves and get into uh to the studio whilst everything was sort of pulling in the same direction Mm -hmm. um uh, in terms of engineer they got in david nicholas again who'd worked on shabu shabar and he was pretty intrinsic in a lot of the the uh, engineering side with chris uh, and they also got a guy in called Bob Clearmountain, who was sort of more based out of LA. Um, Bob Clearmountain uh, was responsible for a lot of the big sort of sound recordings in the 80s. I know he looked after uh, that song Alive and Kicking off the uh, Once Upon a Time album for Simple Minds. 
Uh, yeah, so Bob was sort of pretty intrinsic just in that production side of uh, uh, mixing everything after, you know, uh, Chris and David had done their work. Um, the album length, only 39 minutes and 12 seconds, B. So it, it really was sort of an album that never outstood its, its sort of welcome. It came in, it was sort of crisp. It was straight to the point. It hit you between the eyes uh, and concise. And I think, uh, you know, to this day, it still sounds like that and fresh. Um, as I said, with the momentum of Listen Like Thieves, I think one of the things that is quite commonly known was that um, the key songs when they look back at In Excess of Success were really written by Andrew and Michael in terms of the most popular, well-received songs commercially. So I think Chris Thomas was an advocate for Michael and Andrew to sort of spearhead the songwriting sort of duties. Now, if you're a band member and you think about it and you're saying, okay, well, we're not allowed to contribute songs. And when you think about you know, other recordings where, you know, John contributed Disappear and The Gift, you know, and, and uh, Gary had contributed to Listen Like Thieves, the song, um, uh, you know, uh, Tim, you know, contributed to Spy of Love uh, and Melting in the Sun and, you know, various other band contributions. Kirk through what he contributed off Listen Like Thieves as well uh, with, uh, I think, three tracks there. Um, you know, the band members could have seen that as a bit of a slight, um, but I think, you know, two things. One, they knew that Andrew and, and Michael had good form. Uh, they gave them the trust uh, to go off and do that. And I guess smartly as a band, they were able to negotiate a royalty rate where the other band members who weren't writing or asked to write were factored into that. Um, so it's giving up part of your creativity, but being recompensed, you know, for that. And I guess, as I said, it was a smart move given the success that Kick ultimately had. Um, but probably, you know, for, for, for Andrew, probably put a lot of pressure on him that, you know, has been evident in the mini series and through, you know, interviews over the journey that it was like, Oh my God, you know, I've really got to come up with a lot of music now that's, that's there. So you could sort of think that, you know, there's a window for a band where the world is listening, you know, um, a lot of bands have a sort of a breakthrough album, but it's often that next one that really everyone's okay, cool. We've got a taste of you next. <laughs> um, so the pressure on Andrew was, was pretty huge. Um, I know from a songwriting point of view and, you know, I think there's a document in the miniseries as well that Andrew went to Hong Kong to record, you know, three or four of the songs, et cetera, there. Um, I, I have some sort of distant memory that they may have done some recording in New Zealand with X, but maybe also some recording uh, with some of the kick songs. Um, but you know, the record company pressure was pretty big. Um, and especially after recording it, when they go, you know, deliver the album to New York and Chris takes it there. And then the, you know, the, uh, the head of Atlantic, uh, decides that the album, you know, is not marketable. It's not commercial enough and it's not suitable and offers them a million dollars to go re-record it. Mm. Um, you could sort of see how that could have been a real slap in the face, um, you know, to, to Andrew and Michael particularly, and then also Chris and the band. Um, so, you know, thank God they, they, they you know, dug into their creative, um, you know, achievements and belief in the album and um, the album got released accordingly. But it was not seen to be a commercially marketable, viable album by the record company, which I guess, be just over to you for a moment, it, it sounds really strange in hindsight that, it, you know, now that it's sold 20 million plus, 
that someone could even think that at the time who's in music. That's like your job, you know, you know, Atlantic. That's your, yeah, yeah, that's your job to hear it and listen and sense it and whatever there. So yeah, to know that because I I was, I was, I've been reading, reading um, Shine Like It Does by, Mm. um, by Toby um, Creswell. I mean, there's a lot there that he's picked up from a lot of other books, but um, I picked up on the bit about kick and there was a few things that actually I didn't realize um that they actually decided that this was going to be an album full of singles correct you know yeah. That? Yeah. yeah and that um yeah and that they didn't overproduce it and that overproduction I mean there's production on it but it's not been overproduced and it just shows the simplicity of it that that makes it more listenable and yeah. classic. Well, you're right. Mm. I think, you know, Michael and Andrew, and they said, well, listen, let's just try to record the best 12, you know, mm. songs we can. And, you know, if they can all be singles in a way, because, you know, without jumping ahead to this topic, you know, um, it's not a cohesive album in the sense that when you listen to it from one to 12, it's a cohesive listen. They're 12 individual songs in their own style and, mm. and, 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 uh, and soundings, you know, and I guess when we played in a moment, you know, samples from each, you know, that will reflect itself. But um, yeah, I, I guess um, in hindsight, you know, with Chris and the band and believing what they did, and we'll talk about this in terms of how they released it and how they toured it, you know, in, in, in our next episode, but um, it was courageous and gutsy to say, okay, no, we, we're sticking with this. Um, we believe in this. And mm some of the most successful albums in, in, in the history uh, of music were initially sort of um, critiqued badly, but often by yeah. the record companies there that are designed to support them. Yeah. Uh, I think of an album like Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. Well, that was a bit of a yeah. commercial and critical flop at the time, but over the years it's, it's now become a legendary album yes. uh, that supersedes that. Uh, Marvin Gaye, What's Going On, you know, that was uh, lambasted by Motown at the time because it was deemed to be too political and too controversial. Well, you know, the song What's Going On is probably one of the great racial questioning songs in the history of music. Um, um, so, you know, artists generally, if they believe in their product, uh, you know, and believe in what they've created, have to sometimes fight the powers within, mm-hmm. let alone, you know, just before even hitting the audience out there. Um, so, you know, thankfully through strong management and through the band's belief, they were able to dig their heels in and, and go with this because, uh, yeah, I don't think the record company were regretful after the sales came in, B. No. Okay. I want you to, Mr. Murdoch, just think about what you've just said, yep. how excited these boys were. Yep. They're going to be walking into Rhinoceros Studios, which was near enough brand new by then. Mm. They're going to go in together. They've got this massive vibe, like really comfortable and um, excited and but it's intense. It's like, where are we going? We know we've got these really good songs and we're going to produce this, this amazing album. They just already knew that they'd got something special. Well, look, you know, I think as a songwriter um, and, you know, the great thing about podcasts and reading articles and journals about great songwriters is that sometimes it's really hard work and then sometimes songs just come. And, um, you know, when we do a deep dive on, say, Never Tear Us Apart, you know, I think Chris Thomas said, oh, this would sound really good. Let's take the sort of the the Fats Domino sort of piano waltz away and add strings in. Um, and it's comments and things like that. Can you imagine Never Tear Us Apart without the string orchestral mm. bit? It would be really hard to imagine. Yeah. But if you hear the demo version with in one of the Kicks Deluxe albums, you'll, you'll hear the original format. But songs, are, songs are, are a basis of construction and some come easy, some come more diffi- uh, with more difficulty. Um, but I think, 
you know, the band must have felt confident in the material and, you know, the resulting mm. sales reflect that. Um, and also, too, one thing, just as I alluded to earlier, is that the audience were listening. Um, uh, if I think back to, for example, something like Oasis, you know, for What's the Story, Morning Glory, that paved the way with uh, Definitely Maybe, the world in 95 and in this Britpop era going, okay, we're really investing in this next big album. You know, you 2 yeah. for the Joshua Tree, the audience was waiting. Um, yes. Uh, you know, bands have this pivotal moment where they're in that cultural zeitgeist and uh, all the momentum and everything is, is lined up. Uh, and Inexcess were that for Kick. They, they, mm-hmm. they were becoming, they voted best band in the world in Musician Magazine in 86. They had MTV nominations. They had a top five here with What You Need. They were getting massive traction, uh, uh, you know, both in Europe and in America and Australia, obviously. Uh, so it was a real defining time. And to come out with that album or this album, which is Kick, at the time we had the most pressure on them, pressure on them is uh, a credit to yes. Andrew, I'd say predominantly, to come up with the, you know, Michael didn't write the, you know, the, the instrumental parts, you know, Andrew did. So for Andrew himself as the burden of carrying this album and the expectations and coming up with it, and delivering uh, shouldn't be underestimated. Um, I know Andrew felt pressure with, with X and all the other ones, and he's probably felt pressure his whole career. But this was a significant amount of pressure on Andrew Farris at this time. So um, I guess for, for our listeners, that's just a sort of a bit of a backdrop taking, taking us into the recording side. Um, uh, just moving ahead uh, to the singles and things like that. We'll, look, we're going to play the album in a moment uh, in terms of sample parts, but... Uh, uh, the singles and the order of those releases was Need You Tonight was the first single, Devil Inside was the second, New Sensation was the third, Never Tear Us Apart was the fourth. Uh, Mr. Five was a fifth single released in the UK. Uh, and when we do a bit of a chart breakdown sort of uh, in our next episode, we'll explain sort of how that came about. Um, the the album obviously, uh, you know, you know, broke through, you know, globally. And we will talk more about that as well. Um, interestingly, a bit like the Swing album, they had three or four other songs that were given a lot of uh, radio play. So I guess uh, in Australia, Mystify wasn't a single, but, but got a lot of radio play. Um, the song Kick, the album track wasn't a single, but because the album was called Kick and, you know, the public were thirsty for, 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 for anything there, they got that song played a lot on the radio. And then even uh, Guns in the Sky and Mediate were songs that have had a lot of radio play over the years. So it's sort of an album that probably has eight well-known songs to the average listener out there who probably thinks they're all singles, but uh, they were given, you know, you know, eight of those songs, plus you add in the love one, which was a previous hit, probably nine of those songs are very well known to the average punter where, you know, if you think about it, an album comes out and the first four singles, you know, but sometimes the album tracks you don't. I think Kick was just, just an album that people know nine of the 12 songs particularly well just based on radio play and singles and things like that. Okay, everyone, and here we go. And we're going with the first track, which is Guns in the Sky. Oh! 
ladies first. Okay, uh, opening song off the album. You got a bit of a mischievous look on your face. I'm curious <laughs> where this one sits with you. Okay, all right. We're, we're, <laughs> we're going to be personal about this. This is my opinion. Yeah. My opinion. Okay, so when I first got the album, was very very excited to hear the songs because I'd heard a few, you know, whatever, at the at the end. Um, I was a little bit disappointed with the first one. I must admit, Guns in the Sky, when I first heard it, okay, everybody, calm down, calm down. I can hear it. I can hear Carmen now getting the chopper out ready for me. Um, I think it was just a bit too masculine. I didn't really understand it. I was just <laughs> like, oh, I just fast forward it. But it's one of my top, uh, well, after I saw the video, of course. <laughs> I love the video. I love the video. But yeah, when that comes on at the concerts now, I just absolutely adore this song. Adore it, adore it, adore it. So it, so it grew on me a lot. It's a grow. Yeah. yeah so, so background on this song, look, it's only go, it's a very short opener, but it's a real welcome to this album. Um, it's probably their most political, literal song. Mm. Um, uh, Stop the world, you know, shoot out all the fools with the guns in the sky. Like it's a very political song. Um, Taking back to that era, there was a thing called Star Wars, not the movie, but literally the arms race between Russia and America. And there was a lot of tension in the sort of mid to late 80s about, you know, the you know, divide between the two countries and a lot of the uh, arming of, uh, of weapons and things and spy techniques. So it was sort of very particular to its time. Um, it is credited to Michael solely as, uh, um, you know, the contributor. I think, weirdly enough, Michael gave Andrew some help with some lyrics from Mediate and then Andrew gave Michael some help with some of the guitar stuff, but they've individually recredited, well, well credited this to an, uh, sorry, to a Michael only song and Mediate to an Andrew only song. So it might be interesting to explore that with Andrew if he comes on our podcast or I should say when he comes on, but uh, I like the song. Um, I know Michael pushed it to be a single, but I think it is loud and bombastic and it was probably not a commercially type of lead single Mm -hmm. song. Um, but to me, I would have loved to see it be a fifth or sixth single because um, it, uh, it's got a bit of angry urge and sort yeah. of primalness to it as well, which, you know, in excess weren't always as overtly political. They were political in their own way, but this is a very literal political song with a good message. So mm. uh, it's, it's, a tick, it's a tick for me, song. B. <laughs> Well, it's a tick for me now, but if you'd yeah. ask, ask me when I was in my 20s, I'd go, no, sorry, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 no problems. All right. And now we're going into a number two, which is New Sensation. I'll be your shoulder, you can tell me all, don't keep it in you. It's one of those songs that's a bit timeless to me. It's got such a hook with it. I think it's got the greatest hook on the album. Uh, I remember my sister loving this sort of song, etc. Then she wasn't the big NXS fan, but this is a song that she still loves. Um, and 
it's such an optimistic song. Mm. I like the lyrical growth in it. You yeah. know, it's a love, hate, baby, hate, you know, love, baby, love at the end. It's like this yeah. grow of emotions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could see Michael, you know, with Wembley singing his song and the crowd jumping up and down. It still resonates today. And the hooks are great. And I love the fact that when you go back and listen to some of the remix versions, you can actually hear the banjo. They could put banjo in this song. Yeah, I think they know that, but they, you can hear it in the uh, other versions. But and Andrew would have played that. Probably, yeah. Maybe it's his yeah. early early move to sort of country and blues. Country. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is. It was always a sound in the sort of the down down down. It was always a little bit of a sound. And going, what is that noise? It yeah. sounds familiar. Something, but it's a different instrument. But. Yeah, it's got a bit of banjo in it. But um, oh. tell us a bit about New Sensation for you because it's a double tick for me. It's a double tick for me too. It's um, it's a it's a gorgeous song, isn't it? It's really, really. Um, it just makes you get out of your seat, definitely. But it's a song that I we use a lot in um, our fan community as um, um, sleep baby sleep when we sign off from each yeah, other, yeah. or you yeah. know, um, dream baby dream. You know, it's it, it, we use the lyrics a lot, a yeah. lot. Um, and um, but um, to watch them sing that at uh, Wembley, they were like, they they were flying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were flying. But and but this song was um, on an advert. In in, in, in Australia for a while for Target, I think. So you used to hear it a lot in the shops. I know. I think I'm gladly <laughs> they got rid of that. I think Chris was, um, I don't know, maybe he's trying to buy a new lawnmower for his property or something, but I'm glad that I don't see that song uh, being milked otherwise still, anymore. It still wasn't overused for me. I mean, look, artists these days with music sort of, I guess, being crushed in terms of album sales and things like that, they've got to license their music out in different forums and, um, I remember Moby got a lot of uh, pushback in the early 2000s for licensing a lot of his songs to car companies. But, you know, the musician's way of earning revenue based upon the Napster f- uh, fiasco and then iTunes never really, you know, measuring up has made a life of musician hard. So I don't begrudge them anything anymore how they can get their music heard. No. It was a fair change for me from the early 90s when it was like, you know, I remember seeing the Doors movie and, um, you know, there was a scene where, Bell Kimmel playing Jim Morris was like, great. We're doing like soap commercials or something with one of their songs and things. And, um, you know, but the landscape's different now. Bands have to be able to generate revenue streams in different ways. But um, thankfully, in excess, I pulled that one. And thankfully, you only see a lot of their songs in unique and positive situations. Very, yes. Okay. Uh, one other little thing I was going to mention with New Sensation was. Was it that? What I was going to say was. Um, to this day, when I hear the opening of the song, I always still hear Live Baby Give. <laughs> it doesn't sound like Live Baby Live. I don't care anyone who tells me otherwise. I still hear Live Baby Live. Okay. No, that's what it's supposed to say. But I hear Live Baby Give. Oh, just, just sounds to me like give. Now, that's a silly thing, but it's just my ears. Maybe right. I have to... Deep to rewind that, no. <laughs> but <laughs> um, for what you're hearing, obviously it was a lyric used, you know, for Live Baby Live for the for the live album things. But that's just a, a personal anecdote. I don't know if anyone shares that, but it just felt that way. Okay. All right, <laughs> all right, okay. all right. Now we we've waffled a bit. We shall move on to the third song. Uh, bring it in. What is it? And number three, we're coming in with Devil Inside. Thank you. 
<laughs> Exercise yeah. the devils in your mind. Oh, my little devil is always on my permission shoulder. But this song, yes, this song just makes you dance. It makes it's a good, good proper rock and roll. Get out there and dance out with your mates, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, look for me, I love it. You know, it's again another one that doesn't grow old for me. Um, it got a bit of a a reboost for me when they played it last at Wembley, and they go like, "Devil, devil," you know, and they did an aerial shot. I'm like, "Wow, that one really yeah. reconnected with me." And uh, again, and, and at Brixton, yeah, yeah, but oh, so- they play it really well at Brixton. But sonically, it's got some different sounds on it. It's a it's a really mm. baritone sort of spoken word, almost vocal from Michael. Um, the breathing up to the microphone. Um, yeah. It was a really greatly produced song. And it's probably one of the rare times that you see an NXS do, a, you know, a 30, 40 second guitar solo with Kirk. Mm. Um, they were never a um, self-indulgent band. And I, I know last week we mentioned about the, the sad passing of Eddie Van Halen. And it's probably why, you know, I'm not a big fan of guitar guitar virtuosos who, who can noodle away on the guitar for 10 minutes. I mean, some people love that, each to their own. I just find after a minute or two, <laughs> it's just a bit boring. Um, but, uh, you know, for, for Excess, it's probably one of the rare times that they get a 40, 45 minutes sort of solo win with Kirk and it still sounds great. Yeah. What, you, want me to say, you want me to glorify on that? I'm just going, great, great. I'm just thinking of de- D- d- devil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I think, I reckon once, you know, this was released and it's never not been in their live set as well. Um, no. And yeah. I don't get to see if it's on the radio, I can listen to it all the way through and uh, I, I really enjoy it. So, uh, And I've said it before, I think Tim, well, Tim has said this is the, the one that really gave, gave them a workout. So that's probably why they always played it at the end of a set. Well, during a video sort of a deep dive, we talked about the Joel Shoemaker clip filmed in sort of, I think, Huntington Beach, LA. And uh, this song went number two in America. Uh, it was the second single um, uh, off the album. And uh, I know it was just an interesting sort of counterpunch to Need You Tonight, which is what we're going to talk about in a moment. But it was definitely sonically a, a different sound. And you can't understand the record company execs. But again, if you're hearing Need You Tonight, then you hear, you know, Devil Inside, you know, sonically, they're very sort of diametrically opposed sort of songs on the scale of the spectrum. So um, but triple tick that, for me. <laughs> yeah, triple tick for me. And also on the um, Michael Hutchins musical journey, the Mystify album that mm. came out last year, there's actually a little um, interview with him describing this album about the devil inside. Yeah. You should all go listen to that. Yeah, it's really, yeah, really nice. Really good. Okay, everyone. Gosh, we're getting through them. Yeah. Number four already. Need you tonight. Come over here.
Yeah. He was singing to me, I'm sure. <laughs> where were you when this came out? Like, did this, when it first came out, did it connect with you? Like, what was, where was B and what were you doing around this time? Do you have memories? I remember, I remember, because this came out before the album, didn't it? Well, it's probably the lead single, yeah. So it might have been a month out before the album. So, released. yeah, I remember this, 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 it was being played on MTV a huge amount, a huge yep. amount. And, um, yeah, so I, I I was really, like, like I was probably skipping songs to get to this song, uh, mm. skipping songs to get to this song and, and replaying it before I actually went out and bought it again. On your VCR. In fact, here it is. Look, I'll just show you my original. <laughs> Do you see it? Yeah keeps flipping out <laughs> and uh the 12 inches uber fantastic <laughs> <laughs> okay fantastic and where uh, were you where were you I, look i first heard this in graphics communication class in year 11 at yarra valley anglican school here in melbourne and our graphics teacher um loved to play put on the sort of fm sort of uh, music stuff uh, for us uh, in the day. I think it was Eon FM at that time, which um, later became Triple M. But, uh, yeah, we had music being played in class, which was great while we were doing our graphics work. And this one, I just remember, it was the first time I heard it and it was, then it was replayed a lot because it was sort of the world was waiting, Australian audiences were waiting. Often they played it two or three times an hour. And I had a couple of mates who were confused by it. They were like, well, it's just different from what you need. Whatever. And it was different. It I think we've said earlier, it sort of odes back to a bit like Underneath the Colours, the song off one of their earlier albums. It's very spacey. It's very minimalistic. Um, yes. It's, it's, you can almost hear each instrument in isolation. The vocals are, again, up close and breathy. It's got a real R&B sort of um, backup vocal thing with the band members. And in America originally, a lot of people on black radio stations, you know, thought it was a, a, a black band singing it. Um, uh and yeah. I think that really helped them cross over into that market. Um, uh, in terms of legacy and, and, and now, I mean, I like it. It was on the radio yesterday. I listened to it, but it's probably something that I've heard too many times. Um, I appreciate for what it was, but it's a bit like sort of the radio has just hammered, hammered, hammered it. So it's pro- if I had to put on 30 NXS songs, I wouldn't put this one on. Not because it's not good, but it, it's just I've heard it too many times. Um, and oh. it's just you need to go out and see it live again, then, don't you? Yeah, but even even then, it was live. I used to like the guitar bit in the middle, but I was always a bit. Oh, here we go. You know the song that you know it's just been hammered, hammered. And it's not a criticism of the song at all because it is it's artistry and it's and it's interesting and the film clip and everything there. Um, I just I just probably need a rest. <laughs> you need a <laughs> rest. It. That's all. Um, yeah, but, but, but I, you know, I don't deny its integrity. You know. Yeah, but hearing Michael sort of whisper into the microphone, I don't think I could get bored of that. All right, what's next, B? Okay, well, it goes into Mediate, number five. The broken crate, a heavy weight, just too late, like pretty Kate, as sex on eight, now death estate, appreciate, depreciate, fabricate, emulate. The special day, the animals we hate, guilt to bait, the insurrate, a better rate, a youth irate to liberate, fascinate, intensiate, and deinstate, liberate, to liberate, liberate.
be. Mediate, yeah. yeah. I just wasn't expecting it to sort of like, you know, go flow through. And it was mm. just, it was brilliant. I mean, I'm a big Bob Dylan fan anyway, because of my dad. He made sure that I knew all about Bob Dylan. Mm. So I, I'd, I'd seen the, the clip as well of this, but to, uh, to, to that they married it up with. But Michael singing those words and yeah, I'm trying to get my little 11 year old actually to rap to it if he can. <laughs> well, it's interesting. You, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you use the word rap. It is, you know, at that time, a, a rap vocal, uh, a spoken sort of word type vocal with a sort of a rhyming thing going on. Um, and if, you, if you're a record exec, maybe he, he put this on first, <laughs> you know, when he was doing the, uh, the, the, the album listen or whatever. But um, it really is an oddball song. Having said that, it's a great song and I think sonically the engineer, when he just happened to be sort of playing one and then the other, he saw the similarity in the beat and thought, well, hang on, maybe yeah. we can do this thing where we join them together. And I've used the word coda, C-O-D-A. Um, it's a coda song in the sense that it joins. Um, you know, Need You Tonight's got the same sort of, you know, click track sort of drum beat thing going. Um, uh, and I think live, you know, for, for Michael, it was always one of those moments where, um, you know, everybody stops, everyone sort of, you know, focuses in and stands in one spot and, and, and uh, was always always sort of well received. And I think sort of the, the saxophone trumpet sort of bit from Kirk is quite haunting mm. at the end. Yeah. Um, the other thing too, and I know I'm jumping ahead, but I really love the tricky version of the original Sin album. Oh, yeah. Um, it's yeah. really, really Very good. good. Yeah. Very, very good. Uh, and we'll yeah. get to that version, but if you want to go to YouTube, there's a good YouTube video of Tricky talking about the recording of it and being really, really happy to be selected to sing on it. Um, oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, yeah, I, I saw it on YouTube the other that. week. Ah. Um, but it is a really good sort of uh, amped up dance sort of version mm -hmm. of it that the production is out of this world on it. Yeah, um, well, that whole album is, isn't it? But that really is a standout on that album, I must admit. But very yeah. clever words to use that eight. Very, very clever. Yeah. Now, if we go back to 1987B, we technically are at the end of our A-side of the oh, album. We are. And we're due to sort of turn the record over to put on the B-side, as in the or side two, I should say. Uh, getting my bloody language confused. Side A, side one has just gone down. We're on to side two now. So uh, when we turn over the record and we put it on, we, we have another version of... The Loved One. Right, the loved one. I guess the uh, the remake of the remake. B, uh, <laughs> an interesting sort of addition to the album. When you think about it, um, they covered this in '81, and then obviously nine or oh, sorry, six years later, mm. I think uh, the band said, "Oh, I'd love to do an update of this and 
Chris Thompson in the studio said, yeah, okay, yeah, good song. I like it, put it on. And there wasn't much sort of, I guess, you know, deep and meaningful thinking behind it is from my understanding through research. But um, I guess it is a nice comparison when you hear Michael's vocal range and improvement over those six years. Do you agree with mm, that? Yeah, the improvement in his range of voice, yeah, it's changed quite significantly, hasn't it, in those uh, few years there? Yeah. But I, I like this song. It's quite a real good, rocky, passionate song. Yeah. I, I reckon look, I it's really good to play as well. A couple of things about it in terms of feedback is that when I've listened to a lot of kick reviews from uh, various podcasts overseas, a lot of the, you know, uh, uh, I guess reviewers of the album really don't like this song, um, mm-hmm. whether it's the blues romp or whatever there, but I think it's got such an anthem behind it. And mm. um, look, I guess it's probably a bit more of an MTV update from the punky original version, but it, it still uh, is a great way to finish side one on the album, in my opinion, B. Mm. It also brings me back to like their pub days and, you know, they were actually doing a lot of covers, weren't they as well at the beginning. Yeah. So it's sort of, it's got that feel to it as well. Well, it's one of those songs effectively they've, they've, that they own now in the sense of when it's mm. played, it's, it's synonymous with them. It's but uh, mm-hmm. I know the, uh, the original songwriter, Jerry Humphreys from The Loved Ones, he uh, was very happy that it was added on the uh, <laughs> kick album because selling 20 million worldwide meant Jerry didn't have to work too many more days again. So yeah. uh, that's Happy a bit days of a for Jerry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Going on, well, we've spoken quite a lot about that song in previous episodes, but we're going to now talk about wildlife. Take one step Out the door Look around A whole lot more do, 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 do. I feel the distance Fire and bright it's what we do, it's what we do Wildlife, wildlife. Absolutely love this when I heard it back in 87 and I still love it today. It's one that doesn't get played often enough on the radio though. I must admit, we don't hear it enough, do we? Well, I mean, it's an album track, so it's a deep dive thing. You know, the, you know, Probably at the time when the album was released, you know, radio played it, but it wasn't a single. It, has, it didn't have mm. um, you know, a movie soundtrack behind it or whatever there. Um, uh, to me, I, this song is a solid album sort of track. Um, I don't dislike it. Um, I think it's a good chorus. I, I think it sort of, again, escalates again with quite a heavy finish. It had um, it sort of kicked in with me a little bit live when I was watching some of the stuff around, you know, live, uh, live, Life Baby Live and, um, Spit it out, uh, mate. and, and Wembley. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, look, it's it it, it's, it is it's, a good life. Well, all their songs are like yeah. good life, but this one it really gets the crowd it's, going. It's, it's not killer, but it ain't filler. Okay, all right. Well, we'll move on to yep. the ultimate song, "Never Tear Us Apart" at number eight. <laughs>
All right. Well, what can you say about that iconic song, B? Uh, I reckon it's a song that even still 33 years late, if it comes on the radio, I can't turn it off. Um, uh, also, too, just symbolically, I think, I think I've mentioned this before, uh, it is the song that's been hijacked a little bit by a football team in Australia, but they do it such justice. And last night they played a, a game and they had 30, 40,000 there with their scar saying, never tears yeah. apart singing. Oh, um, that must you know. be a good feeling. Being oh, part it, of is, it is. It's it sort together. of the yeah. down under version. We'll never walk alone at the sporting yeah. arena. Yeah. Um, but you know, this song from a sort of an artistic point of view was a real departure for the band, you know, where it went from a sort of a bluesy waltzy sort of piano thing into a massive orchestral bit at the behest of, I think, Chris Thomas mm. um, saying this does, this song deserves strings and um, the film clip and everything there. It's, it's about three minutes and 10 seconds of uh, musical bliss, isn't it, B? Yeah. I do, like I've said before, this is their grown up song. This is them becoming men and owning something so very very beautiful and Michael saying I love you in just such a few words as well it's just you know never tear us apart I mean that's it isn't it well some We're some, yeah, forever. Some, some of the great songs when you actually break them down and I, I you know I guess my geekdom in this area you know would probably come in but some of the great songs uh that have ever been recorded um, have a feeling behind it. If I think back mm. to something like In My Life by John Lennon, it was almost seemed to be the first sort of ballad type grown up song as an artist. You know, I think that was off the Rubber Soul album and he was probably only 24, 25. Yeah. But, you know, the lyric thing, there are, you know, moments I remember, you know, in, you know, in my life, life, I love you so. And mm-hmm. it was sort of this ability for, you know, going from a boy to a man and, and, and the lament of lost love. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think in this case, with Never Tear Us Apart, it was about Michelle and being, you know, really having to make that decision. We're going global. I have to move forward. You know, yes. there's there's no Skype internet or whatever. There, When you go overseas, you're overseas. There's no mobiles or whatever. Like, you yeah. have to cut the cord. Yeah. Um, and maybe she had to cut the cord in yeah. some respects. And the song, I think, is just his heart pouring out in such a uh, momentous uh, but heartfelt way. Mm-hmm. Just beautiful. And the video to go with it as well. I mean, you can't not think about the video when you hear the song as well. Well, It's so well done. Well done, Mr. Richard Lowenstein. Please come on the show. Like I think he saw, you know, some footage of of Prague and said this would make, you know, the song Mm. itself has a cinematic sort of quality to it. When you see the making of the video, Richard's up in the dolly high above the ground and you see the aerial shots and just Mm. the beautiful... I guess non sort of bombed uh, uh, city of the World War Two era. There was just a lot of nostalgic buildings and things there that missed out on getting bombed in a lot of the, the World War Two era. And um, it's such a lovely city. When I see the the word Prague, I, I immediately associated with this song. You know. Yeah, and the fact that it was just that little bit chilly and it was all like cuddly and warm, <laughs> and can't forget the solo sax solo. Yeah. How yeah. good is that sax solo? Um, Who I, hasn't done it? Yeah. And look, the funny thing, there's one little funny thing in the video. I always laugh a bit when Kirk's doing sort of the solo bit and the whole song's got this sort of, you know, very um, heartfelt feeling. You see sort of Michael do his little strut, you know, he's sort of walking <laughs> along like, just to mix it up a little bit. I'll do my little saunter and strut along, you know, <laughs> <Flip> um, <my. laughs> uh, which combines nicely. Um, but yeah, look, a great song. And look, probably I think if we look back in hindsight, and this is what we do with album reviews, this is a, a song that's held up 33 years later. I think mm. this song, Don't Change, uh, are the two songs that are the most covered uh, by other artists. I mean, you know, we've, we've had uh, 
this song covered on our own sort of um, cover versions at the end of uh, the albums and things like that, where uh, I think Paloma Faith in uh, England did this and was a top 10 hit for her. Um, It was made into a a dance remix with uh, the song Precious Heart uh, that became a a dance sort of uh, remix. And Um, and it's been covered many, I think Adele's done a cover, but not released it. I was just going to say, I've just read that Adele's done a cover and she's going to be releasing it. Well, look, it'd be great if if she did because it'd blow up. But uh, I think she's always been a bit reluctant saying, I don't know if I can match the original, but um, I think think she's got a great voice, but a humble attitude about it too. uh, Yeah, that's good. Okay, you ready? Number nine, Mystify. I need perfection. Some twisted selection that tangles me to keep me alive. It all that exists when none has your beauty. I see your face, and I will survive. Mystify. Again, really is. I can't say anything bad about it. Well, kick kick out a bit of a lag period in the UK where Need You Tonight was released and it bombed and then it was released and then it was bombed and then for whatever reason got re-released after America and it went to number two. And there was a bit of a latency effect whereas, you know, some of the other singles have been released and whatever. So to cash in on Need You Tonight, they released Mystify there that yeah. went number 14. So this song probably has a bigger resonance in the UK uh, and probably Australia. But... Um, but yeah, it is a sort of mature song. I, I think it's got a really sort of nice sort of piano sort of intro. Um, mm. I love the lyrics, you know, the um, lyrics. Looks, that chill mm. divine, yeah. some silky moments. I mean, it's, it's a, from a, a lyrical and a vocal <laughs> phrase. Yeah, a lyrical and a vocal phrasing point of view. It's probably, I think, Michael's finest moment. Mm. Um, and uh, it, it goes into then a sort of, you know, this bluesy sort of piano sort of sound into sort of a, a, a pop pop element with the band coming in. Yeah. Um, I know Kirk loves playing this live. It's just something that, you know, he always enjoys sort of playing it. And um, I guess it's interesting for a song that wasn't a hit in American Australia, but was a sort of a radio hit and a synonymous hit that everyone loved. Um, and in a lot of fan polls, you'll see this song in the top 10, 15 songs, despite not being a single in some of those other countries, which yeah. is... Which is oh, interesting. It played massively over in the UK. Yeah. It's a massive hit. Yeah. Yeah. I like the fact that it's not sung from him, it's sung from them as what them you... as a band. It's yeah, from, we're seeing it from an all encompassing yeah. you know, point of view. It's like it's not, we all feel yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Okay. Look, I, I, th- I think it's a song that just sort of has held up really well. You know, mm. some songs can sort of, you know, decay a bit over time. This song sounds just as relevant today than it did back then. Yeah, I think we can say that about most of these songs on the album. Well, this was my top video, Mr. Fi. Just Hang on, hang on. Wasn't Good Times your top video? Wasn't Good Times my top video in my part one and then this was oh, my part two? yes. Come on, Hayden. Gazumped. Get with it. Yes, gazumped, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, my favorite, number 10, kick. Yeah, we'll never give, we'll give 
Yes. Love, 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 love. I love singing it or shouting it, whatever I want to do with it. So, yeah, I just love the guitars in this. I just love Michael's lyrics. And it is, it's a real feel good, especially when you've had a bit of a shit day, hey? (laughs) Well, look, this this particular song, um, it feels like they've taken sort of one by one that had that brass orchestral, uh, you know, brassy sort of sound in it. Um, and took it to another level on kick. Um, also, the start of it, you know, uh, with the keyboards and stuff, sounds a little bit like the start of Let's Go Crazy by Prince. Yeah. You hear that, dearly beloved, we're gathered here today. You know, it's got a little bit of a similarity to it. Yeah, maybe. Um, but it's a real soaring song. And, I, and my understanding from memory is that a lot of the, the brass sounds have come through the keyboards. Um, not, I mean, obviously live they play it with some of the brass stuff with Kirk and things, but some of it I think has come from the, the electronic side. Yeah. Um, uh, at the times, you know, I think the lyric, you know, sometimes you kick, sometimes you get kicked is a sort of a basic sort of lyric. It's mm-hmm. not Menza, but um, it probably sort of uh, does sum up life in a way, yeah. you know, uh, especially at the moment. Um, uh, but it is a sort of real raucous sort of sing-along, you know, ditty there that... Um, um, as a sort of a self-titled song on the album was given a lot of radio play. It was never released as a single, but people would know it probably better than the fourth single of Welcome to Wherever You Are. Yeah. Hence the, the amount of airplay it got. Um, so tick from me. Yeah. And then again, holds reading... Up. Pardon? It still holds, holds up. up. Yeah. I wonder what you said then. Yeah. And then again, for me, going back to Ronos's studios and them all seeing one another in their individual little... Areas isolated by Nasher Rush. Okay. <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah. Rhino. Okay. Just say Rhino's easier. Rhino. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know a Rhino. Someone called me a bogan the other day, uh, so um, which I flatly refused. Uh, I won't say who. Uh, she's not. Tell listening. me. Well, that doesn't matter. Uh, and I said, I'm not a bogan. We all have. A bogan is equivalent to, I think, is it a chaff or a chaff or something like that? What do you call them back in England? A chaff? I don't know. I've been out of there too long. Been over here too long. We digress. Let's get back on. Hillbilly. Hillbilly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What was I saying? Okay, so we're in in, uh, Rhino Studios Mm. (laughs) and uh, they can see one another and they're all isolated, but they're all like, singing this song or like belting this song out to one another i can imagine just the joy on their faces when they're playing it well yeah you it men- is a- yeah you mentioned mm. earlier from a production point of view these days you've got things like pro tools and auto tune and you know you've got laptops and people can be in different parts of the world doing duets yeah. and albeit that's great from a technology side you know it, it, it is a bit clinical and i i guess what chris thomas was trying to do was get the band's live sound to sort of reflect themselves in the studio better so i think they played a lot of these songs you know collectively at the same time and i think you get that freshness and that sort of live feel Mm. amidst the studio trickery um uh but this song kick does sound like a real sort of ensemble ruckus you know party song you know yeah yeah it could have been it could have been a really good video again like um the good times video yeah yeah, a good party one. Okay, and we're coming into our Hutch Nation's anthem, Calling All Nations, sitting at number 11. Oh, 
four. Right, calling all nations. Look, I remember playing this song for the first time on my tape and going, oh, wow, like this, you know. Um, it's the closest song that sounds like another song on the album. It's got a bit of a new sensation, little rolling guitar sort of um, uh, thing. Yeah, rhythm mm. thing happening. Um, I think critic, I think I, I like the sound and I don't really like the lyrics, you know, we're going to go down to the party, call all nations. Like, I know you probably do, but I, I, you know, I found the lyrics just a bit basic and whatever there. I thought, I thought that um, they could do better, but maybe that's me being an old fart now and not, actually at the time when I wasn't an old fart <laughs> listening to the song for what it was. So maybe that's me now, oh, party, oh, noise, <laughs> I don't know. But I like the song, but I think maybe lyrically it's probably something that, you know, hasn't aged well for me. <laughs> well, it's, it's that, that, you know, you, you've got your axe to the wheel. So it's like everyone's like working really hard and all mm. around the world and then everyone collectively, come on, let's get together and mm. just... Yeah, have to maybe it's like dancing on the jetty part two lyric, etc. There, yeah. um, but you know, so if someone's on the radio, I'd listen to it. Um, and it's a strong, sort of uh, nicely produced, uh, catchy, all that sort of stuff. Um, it's so catchy, it's a tick. Uh, mm. it's, it's um, they've got better lyrics in them, yeah. But again, they're 24, 25, 26, 27 individually throughout there yeah. and, and maybe it was just that sort of 11th song in an album a little bit of a party anthem etc there and yeah. reflected the hedonistic decadent times they were in b yeah oh well i love it okay <laughs> so anyway number 12 tiny daggers Australia really embraced this song a lot, didn't they? They liked it, Tiny Daggers. Yeah, well, look, I, I can't remember hearing on the radio, but as a 12th song off an album, you know, it's definitely not a, uh, a filler sort of track. Um, again, weirdly enough, when I listen to a lot of podcast reviews on this song around the world on kick or whatever, they, they love this song much more than um, Calling All Nations, much more than uh, The Loved One. Uh, I probably don't. Uh, but as a track 12, it's solid. Um, yeah, again, a bit of an earworm for me. When I hear this song in the intro and the start to it, it does remind me of Young Turks by Rod Stewart. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if you know that song, Young Yeah, huh? I do. And now I'm it's hearing got a it. Similar <laughs> piano sort of guitar intro. Um, mm. But it, it's, it's got a joyous, poppy, uh, happy Michael sound to it. I think it does 
come through sort of the listening side. And I think lyrically it's, it's stronger than calling all nations. Um, um, it does also one of those, I think third song in the album, everybody wants to kick, 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 you know? So the, the word kick, I think comes up on, uh, again, yeah. comes up on three, you know, three songs, then the song kick and then in devil inside, you know, sometimes yeah. we kick, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, but it's look. I think it's a very solid way to to, to finish the album. It's you know three minutes twenty nine, and yeah, um, it's, it's it wouldn't be one that I would skip if I was playing the whole album. You know, very good, very good to end with that one because you want to go back again, don't you? Absolutely. It's now into sort of our review time and just, you know, a little bit about sort of the album. I think you said earlier they were aiming to try to get 12 singles and they almost did that, didn't they? Yes, they did. Yeah. So um, which one's missed? Which one's missed for you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, look, you know, we're going to do a review in a moment, but just, just to sort of, you know, consolidate a, a bit of the, you know, discussion, it, as we said, it still sounds crisp, vibrant, you know, urgent, fresh. Um, and I think a great album, you know, at the time it's recording and it's and then sort of the current time you know, it doesn't lose its luster. Um, there's so many great albums by so many great bands and artists in the world that still sound great in 2020, but may have been recorded in 1975. Um, I think this album doesn't sound dated uh, at all in its era. I think sometimes, unfortunately, the band gets lumped into the 80s. Oh, that 80s sound, that 80s synth sound or whatever. Sure, there's a couple of sort of saxophone parts on this album that probably are a bit akin to its era, but they're not cheesy. I don't think that the saxophone never tear us apart at all. Kenny G-esque, is it? No. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, translated live, I think the songs that were still played into the 2000s still, you know, were really great songs to be able to then turn into sort of live settings. Um, we have, and we're compiling our deep dive list of songs that we would like to add to our Spotify, uh, I guess, um, uh, track listing. And we're up to about 15 songs where what we've tried to do for listeners out there, if you haven't heard all of what we call non-single deep tracks. We're putting some of those uh, together. The hard task we have here is that some of the most popular songs were never singles that people listen to now. Um, yeah. So I'm a little bit torn to go, okay, putting that on, that on, but strictly to its uh, its agenda, non-album release singles are eligible for our deep dive. So there are going to be okay. some we put on that, that I think make it because they're popular. Popular, yeah. yeah. It's just, it's just, it's so I'm going to throw a couple of songs at you, B. Give me a tick of approval or a denial. Um, okay. I'm going to put Mediate in there. Yes, thank you. I was going to yes. say that one straight away, yes. Okay, I'm going to put Kick in there. Of course. Yeah, okay. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to channel your positivity of 2020, but I'm going to put Guns in the Sky in there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um so, um, and I am going to put in there because I still think it's catchy and it's hot and it's, it has resonance and, you know, we spend the whole day with our axe to the wheel. Yay. Yeah. Yes. All right. <laughs> now, uh, so therefore we're going to add there. So apologies to Wildlife, Tiny Daggers. Uh, the Love One, again, has been a single in the past. It's probably not eligible. Plus we had the other five songs that were singles in various parts of the world. So, yes. um, Album review time, B. Uh, I think the best album review we've had so far is, is, is a 9.25, 9.3. There's not a lot you can look back on this album and criticise. There's not a ah. lot of deductions and things. And um, 
I know when I went back to the swing album, Face the Change was a big deduction for me. I think uh, Three Sisters of Listen Like Thieves created a big <laughs> half-point deduction. Um, I really can't deduct much, you know, like there's no song on here that's a minus five for me. Um, right. There's some songs that, you know, could have nearly been quite there. But uh, I'm going in with a 9.5 on this album, B. Okay, to put that as our official Okay, date. 9.5. I am with you on that. I'd even stretch it a little bit higher myself. I'd go 9.8. 9.8. Okay. Well, I have to take into account your view on things. So let's meet in the middle at 9.65. Okay. Because this is getting into like split hairs. Like we've got some 9.225s. Like this is there's some real sort of fine tuning things here. But what would represent the deduction for me? Um, look. Again, you know, we're talking about sort of splitting hairs, etc. We have to talk about the lyrics of Calling on Nations, maybe Tiny Daggers, Wildlife, or okay. Um, but, you know, there's no filler on the album. So we're talking sort of no. split hairs on a couple Perfect. of things. Perfect. Mm. Um, you know, uh, what is the ultimate 10 out of 10 album? Maybe it doesn't exist. Okay. But I think for all of our fan engagers out there and a lot of passive fans, uh, we would say that we know this album means a lot to you. It means a lot to us. Mm -hmm. Um like anything, when something becomes popular, B, um, it can mean that it sh the, the, the former fans that were a bit more underground and a bit more like, uh, oh, everyone likes it now, I'll, be, uh, I'll, I'll actually call the album not as good as their other stuff. And there is that bit of a feeling in Australia amongst certain fans who were in the Shabu Shabar, Listen Like Thieves, the swing era. When it came to kick, they're like, oh, it blew up globally, the sellout, or blah, 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 blah. But let's, the way I look at it all is I go, okay, They've walked into Rhino Studios in mid-87, sorry, uh, CBS, uh, sorry, let me say that again, Atlantic in America. Here's the album, you know, Mr. Doug, whatever your name was. Have a listen to this. And he's like, this is the most uncommercial, unreleasable album we could ever have ever seen. Sack. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> what Things become commercial as a legacy, as an outcome of it being popular. But pre-release, it wasn't commercial. Pre-release, it wasn't sort of necessarily seemingly, you know, uh, sellable by the very record company that wanted to sell it. So when things become popular sometimes, you've got to sometimes think back and look at the songs themselves. Like, Need You Tonight is an odd song. Yeah, Mediate is an odd song. Yeah. New Sensation with a banjo in it is a little bit different. Oh. Devil Inside is different. Never Tear Us Apart was something they'd never done before. Some of these songs, you've heard them a lot, so they've become normalised to you. But there's a, there are some oddities and some left shifts and right shifts on this album that at the time uh, were quite different to what different. the marketplace was. Yes. Who were they competing with at the time? Bon Jovi, yeah. you, know, you know, Meat and Potatoes Rock, you know, Guns and yeah. Roses, Meat and Potato and Three Veg mm. Rock, you mm. know, Die mm. Straits, Boring Central. You yeah, know, and you're uh, talking American bands there, though, hey? Oh, British British bands like, you know, Die Straits are a bit odd. I mean, you had a good movement of UK bands, Echo and the Bunnymen, you know, you had uh, Jesus and, and, and uh, the Mary, Mary Chain. I mean, there, there were some sort of interesting sounds going around, but this album from some guys from Australia to sound like this, to sound soulful, yeah. to, to sound funky, to sound uh, R&B-ish, to sound... <laughs> balladeering you know it, it had it's the quintessential in excess album it's mm. them playing 12 separate distinctively different songs yeah all onto one album as a sort of almost like a greatest hits collection you know at the time yeah, um, yeah, yeah. hence the legacy of nine songs still getting mainstream you know radio play around the world of 12 
But we have to thank Mr. Chris Thomas as well on all of this. We do. We do. I, I think we, we'll, we're probably going to give him his cue in the next episode. But I think yes. Chris, one thing Chris Thomas did very well with the band is that he fought hard for what you need. Yeah. He fought hard that they still needed more songs for this album. He sent, I think, my, uh, Andrew off to uh, Hong Kong famously and got in the cab and then he found the riff and, you know, and things in his head. <laughs> and, you know, um, Chris would push the band uh, and if, if the band thought they had enough, he would say, listen, you could, you've got more in you. And yeah. um, and he had such a music, well, a musicianship. He could say, look, I think strings on this would sound great. And his, his ear for, for melody, his ear, you know, for rhythm and his, his sense of detail was, was, was no doubt hugely responsible for why Listen Like Thieves, you know, Kick and X were the three sort of triumvirate albums that recorded the, the biggest sales of their career. We hope that some of the things we've talked about the songs resonate with you and, you know, we'd love to hear what's your favourite song. Where were you at the time? Uh, I've always said personalised in excess album to your life, you know, relate, yes. relate, you know, your story on our, our platforms, you know, was this song important to you at a certain time? Did it get you out of a bit of a, a flat spot? Do you, yeah. you know, I think someone recently, I think it might've been yeah, Richard said, yeah, in summertime, I love putting kick on. It's, you know, putting it in the car and turning it up and, you yeah. know, you know, new sensation, what a driving down the highway song, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and we like those things. Like, don't just say, hey, I love this song. Tell us why you like it. You know, what does it mean to you? How do you mm. hear it? Why do you still play it? Uh, yeah. What part of your life does it reflect? Um, they're yeah. the, the, the stories I think the band and, and us as podcasters get a lot out of about what sort of connects with you with a certain song. Because um, music is time and place. Yes. A lot of it. A lot of it yeah. is nostalgia driven. Yeah, yeah. It just it it brings you back to another place and era, doesn't it? 100%. Music brings us together. Well, B, I also want to thank you for today because you do know that I, I love getting on my waffle high horse when it comes to album reviews and you give me the, the floor to, Let you to go. opine and share. But <laughs> it, it is probably one of the big passion pieces for me talking about the albums because it is everything else is really secondary. The music has always been primary and, and front of centre and I guess uh, for you and I, we both just want to thank the band for putting this together and kudos to Andrew for, for coming up with the goods amidst what would have been unbelievable pressure uh, mm -hmm. at the time for what was Andrew at the time was a 27-year-old. Yeah, I know. 27 when he came up with these songs. Amazing. Amazing. Absolute genius. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Have, have you on the show and tell us all about it. Yes, soon. Andrew. <laughs> I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Okay, everyone. Long awaited. You've been waiting very patiently for this. I have no idea what he's going to talk about or rant about. Let him go. Unleash the beast. COVID-19. The delayer of all things delayed. What is it? What does it mean? I tell you what it is. Some fucker in China decided to eat a bat after not being able to get his lemon chicken number 69 order. What the hell is that? What does it mean? I tell you what it means. Here in Australia, it means I can't go more than five kilometres from my home. It means I can't actually go out and handshake. I can't hug. I can't kiss. What does it mean? No cafes. No meaningful exercise more than five kilometres away from my home. Hey, I can't even get a haircut, but my dog can. What, that's, what is all that about? No live music. No movies. No acceleration for in excess of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Why? We can't even get Andrew to tour now to America. We can't get him to release his debut album in solo terms. We can't get Ash and Moon to do the tours that they wanted. We can't do anything. What the hell's going on, world? We live in a world where our Premier Dan Andrews, or as I call him, the Taliban, 
Emperor Dan, Fuhrer Dan, Communist Marxist Leninist Dan, lies to the public, tells all Victorians what we can't do. We had two cases overnight, no deaths, yet we're all locked in our homes. It's just a plot to keep in excess out of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The end. This is Felicia Marie from Carbondale. This is Clarkie from San Francisco. This is Ann Marie from Ohio. And that's a wrap. All right. Well, that's a bit of a wrap, B. Episode 24 in the can, although it's probably part one of our sort of kick uh, retrospective. As we said earlier, today was all about the songs, uh, all about the album, all about just the impact of what those songs were and how we love them still. Um, as I alluded to earlier, you know, we're going to have a, a part two and a part three where I guess we delve deep into the legacy, you know, reviews, you know, how it fitted into sort of the cultural landscape at the time, um, what it meant to people and things like that with fan engagement. So we're going to do that. Uh, and also we hope to, and we've been asked to uh, invite um, uh, Nick Egan, who was responsible for all the artware and a lot of the artistic side of the actual um, uh, record uh, at the time, because it was a record and uh, did go to CD. So we do hope to uh, reach out to to Nick and get him on to give his sort of uh, view of, of the art, artwork side, because it is a sort of an iconic album sort of cover that all sort of opened up and sort of uh, laid itself out, you know, in uh, full panoramic form once you open up all sides of the album, B, um, for those mm. who back in the day used to buy albums. Mm. So Kick probably, as I said, it's going to deserve, you know, a three-episode uh, deep dive. So uh, one in the can today, B. Yeah, I'm looking forward to speaking to Nick, actually, from a, a design point of view, because I do like a lot of design. So that'll be interesting, won't yep. it? This and look, he's in, yeah, he's involved with other bands and just and his career bands. is going to yeah. be worthy of a, a deeper discussion as well. And just mm. his relationship with Michael that, you know, was very close as well. Very close, yeah. Um, all right, a couple of little uh, free plugs. Uh, Richard Simpkins, or Simkin, I should say, as our special guest a few weeks ago, he uh, had, uh, well, he has quite a large sort of uh, following, but we'd like to give a little bit of a plug for his new store, B. Uh, yes. I know he's you know, been promoting some T-shirts with some interesting sort of designs and some masks for this COVID period. Do you want to share a bit about that? Yeah, so we've, we've, we've put a link onto our Facebook page. So if you come onto the In Excess Access All Areas Facebook page. But the bit that, that the, the, the one that really caught my eye, which I'm actually going to buy myself, is um, Richard asked um, Michael to do a self-portrait. Do you know mm. this story? Mm. No, well, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, and he just grabbed a pen. It took him two seconds and he did this. And it's a picture of Michael in just like lines. Well, I saw that on Facebook a, last night and yeah. for about five or six lines, it's a bit like the John Lennon one, isn't it? Um, yeah. Around Imagine Time, it's it's minimalist, but you can actually Beautiful. tell the resemblance. Yeah, it's Michael and it's a self-portrait <laughs> by yeah. Michael. So yeah. that would be fantastic. So I'm just going to get that as a T-shirt yeah. and probably wear it to bed. Maybe we can post that up because it is really an interesting sort of picture just Great for people picture. to see. Mm, mm. Um Okay, uh, competitions. Now, we did announce last week we have a, a competition out finally. Uh, it really is geared around, I guess, uh, Clemo's book, which uh, rock stars and fast cars, etc. But it's a real deep dive into his experiences on the road within excess because we really only touched uh, the surface of things. Mm. Um, but we are giving away a free copy of, uh, or two copies, one for our newest patron who joined in the last uh, week. Uh, and secondly, we're going to be offering uh, also a copy to one of, one of our more experienced uh, patrons. 
uh, as a thank you just for your participation. So as we've said, all the competitions really reward patrons uh, for their you know, support and loyalty. So uh, I know probably we're going to announce those winners uh, at the end of October, in about two and a half weeks. So uh, please get involved. Please, uh, I guess, understand your criteria. It is obviously... You know, uh, for the new patron, it was becoming a patron, but also uh, sending us some great in excess questions to your favourite band member. Yeah, uh, for the existing, getting some great ones. Yeah, and for the existing patrons, it was just like sending your best two or three questions mm. for the band members. You know, mm. you know, not do you like gravy or tomato sauce, or you know, um, you know, do you vote, you know, uh, you know, Trump or Biden, or you know, ask something really catchy and interesting that you know has probably rarely been asked, but is interesting to fans. Yeah. Okay. Juicy. Yeah. Be sitting there going, oh, I just want the gossip stuff. Okay. But uh, <laughs> no, we want to keep this gossip free. Okay. Uh, we want to, you know, you understand it's going to hit one of the band members and hopefully you'll get your name and your, your actual verbal recording uh, of these questions uh, said literally to the band member and then they can answer accordingly to you, which would be great. Yeah. And if you can email those to me, that would be great to um, in excess, aaagmail.com. Fan engagers, we talked a little bit about this, but uh, we're going to probably each week call that two of the best fan engagers of the week. So, uh, B, I know you've done a bit of deep dive and research of people who have been really participating and uh, really stimulating activity and comment and feedback uh, through our platforms. Uh, so uh, who are the two best fan engagers of the week, B? I've got a really cool guy in uh, Berlin. and um, Berlin. Berlin? Yeah, he's gorgeous. He sends me photos of himself and he mm. sends, oh, like, we've been excess <laughs> stuff, and um, voice recordings and in this, like, accent. And it's just, it's just cool. He's really cool. His name's Kay. And um, I would really love you to be a patron, mate. So um, I'll just big up to you. You just really, I really love opening up your messages. So thank you. And then the other gorgeous person is Joseph. He's been around from day one, but hey, come on. Come and be a patron with us. We want to see you on these Zoom chats. Cool. And, and look, these guys are participating on the platforms or directly message you or how are they going about it? Well, um, well, Joseph's on Facebook with us constantly. Yep. Um, like he's always there. He's always giving us the big thumbs up. So mm. we just love that. But um, Kay's on Instagram. Yep. Messages me through Instagram. Yeah. And yeah, I've got a few... Yeah. People tweet, tweet win, whatever it's called again. <laughs> tweet, tweeting. <laughs> yeah. But look, whatever platforms you're on, I mean, and everyone, there's so many of them these days. I mean, sometimes I just guess our Facebook site is probably the thing that, you know, you know brings everybody into one common place. Um, stimulate activity. You know, don't be afraid to say which songs you like, which ones you don't, which tours or albums are your favourites and otherwise. And, and even just, you know, your experiences about the band because discussion, you know, is, again, part of that juggernaut and part of just keeping the band alive. And we might not always agree, you know, as I've done on this podcast a bit, you know, um, there's things that Ben and I don't agree on. Definitely things Carmen and I don't agree on. <laughs> um, but um, it's, it's all about, you know... Um, you know, togetherness and discussion and, and just enjoying what it is to be a fan. So, uh, again, we will highlight a couple of fans per week that are really stimulating conversation, et cetera, as well. 
Uh, Actually, can I mention Laurie again? Because Laurie is really, really active on this. She found some photos and she says, do you think this is inside the rehearsal studios? (laughs) (laughs) She's just on it all the time coming up with stuff. She's put together a uh, a madness podcast. So, you know, if you do uh, like what we do, I think she's taken a few ideas, which we're very Mm, happy to share with her. And she's putting some of those into her madness podcast. So again, you know, if you love music and love the 80s and love, you know, 90s or whatever and different periods, check that one out. Um, all right. Before we uh, break off today, you know, we, we can't um, uh, deny the impact of Kick, the influence it's had, uh, and we're going to have a cover song of probably what was the most famous song off the album. Went number one, as we said earlier, in, in America, I think in January 88, uh, which was Need You Tonight. And... Um, we have a particular lady who a couple of years later, you know, swept the Grammys, who, who won a whole lot of Grammys uh, literally about two years later um, for her album. And she uh, just famously did a, a re-cut uh, of Need You Tonight about two, two three years ago uh, on her one of her comeback albums. And it's a real bluesy sort of version. Uh, and it was the lead single. And she did play it on a lot of the major talk shows in America. Um, so there's a lot of hints there. Um, for those who uh, also don't know, she married the guy from Caddyshack, the caddy. Uh, so for my mates out there who love that movie, uh, totally useless inane stat. But uh, yeah, she's a, a, she's female royalty in America and uh, does a, a really good version. So uh, we hope you like this one. Um, and it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from B. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. I'm alone.